Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. It is an absolutely beautiful day here in Starkville. We've had some humidity, which is kind of what you get in the summertime. You know what I'm saying? But I... I'd kind of grown accustomed to uh, the mild spring we had, but uh, nevertheless, beautiful weather, a little bit breezy. Hope all of you that had to deal with the tropical storm Cristobal here over the weekend, hope you guys are well. Hope there was no uh, major damage to any of your property or anybody you love's property. Hopefully that was all just a bunch of wind and rain in your life. Hope that's what all of the storms bring is wind and rain because we know that uh, all sunshine and no rain brings a desert. We've got to learn to appreciate all facets of life. So, uh, big show today, and, is, and we're going to get into some draft stuff. Now, I'm not going to burn you with a whole lot of that. We've talked about that so much. But today is uh, the first round of the Major League Baseball draft. Going to look at you know, kind of uh, some other prospects around the SEC because the SEC is going to be changing. Because last year, the 2020 season, the one that was abbreviated and canceled on us, that was kind of supposed to be the big return of the Friday night ace in the SEC. Well, a lot of those guys are not going to be here. A lot of those guys are going to be millionaires here in about, uh, oh, I don't know, six, seven hours. So that's all going to be uh, an evolution of sorts. I think it works out well for guys like Christian McLeod, who are also bona fide Friday night guys, and will have an opportunity to pitch for a couple of years. And, uh, do some big things. So we'll get into some of that. And uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but the SEC Media Days will now be a virtual experience. Now, they're still going to uh, to have coaches. They're still going to have the Greg Sankey State of the SEC address. They're going to have player representatives. But they're not going to go uh, out to Atlanta to do it in person. Going to do it all uh, right here at the confines of uh, Starkville, Mississippi, for our state players. And it will be broadcast on the SEC network. So for those of you watching at home, your experience will not change. I want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show, man. Great people, great food, great prices, great atmosphere. They know how to feed folks at Bulldog Burger Company. You need to go by and check it out for yourself. Find your own favorites. I hadn't been, matter of fact, I hadn't been in a couple of weeks. I've been busy finishing the book. Uh, but it's one of those things, too, where you begin to look at all this. And you begin to realize, you know what? Some of the things that I missed the most about life when we were all kind of uh, recluses is being able to go to my favorite restaurant, have my favorite meal, and have somebody else prepare it and kind of wait on me a little bit. Not because I'm a, you know... I need to be waited on, but it's just nice to be able to get out and have a good night out, have a great meal away from home. But if you're looking to have a great meal at home, you can still do that with the fine folks at Bulldog Burger Company. They are happy to provide curbside assistance. You can get orders to go, bring it home, give mom a night off. Two locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas, and on Gloucester Street in Tupelo, Mississippi. Bulldog Burger Company, part of a great family of restaurants that have served the Golden Triangle 
for many, many years, you're not going to be disappointed. Again, Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people in Starkville and now Tupelo go to meet. M-E-A-T. So, let's get into a little more of this SEC uh, Media Day stuff. So, I think it's important to, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, there's the main room like where Sankey and, and then the coaches come and they, and they meet, and it, there are dozens and dozens, I would venture to say probably hundreds of SEC media people that are there from all walks of life, you know, from all mediums. There's, there's Radio Row where you know people walk down there and just go basically uh, you know, to every radio station. It's kind of set up there. You know, our good friend Matt Wyatt has, uh, has spent some time on Radio Row over the years. But there's print media, there's internet media, there's just there's a there's a lot of people there that, that are just kind of there uh, for themselves. They're there to kind of be seen and that sort of stuff, kind of advance their career, and they don't really produce any content. There's a lot of people that come to SEC Media Days just to kind of be seen. They don't interview anybody. They may write an article or two about their experiences, but there are other people there. There are a lot of people there for the circus. And uh, one of the things that really irritated me several years ago. I won't mention the person's name that called me, but you know, it was right, I guess, when we began to really see the big descent in print media, because that's one of the things that's so interesting to me is for years and years and years, you know, the only person that's been covering Mississippi State in the internet media, and at this point, any media longer than me, is Gene Swindoll. Gene's the only one in the, on the, in the internet that's been doing it longer than me. Dave Murray, of course, is a part of our team, and Dave uh, was in the print media for a while, handling Dogs Bite magazine. But uh, the digital age changed a lot in how we did media, just because of the fact that you as the reader, you could get an instant update. You know, when, when a player commits or perhaps there's a transfer or there's an injury at practice, we could have an article up in a matter of minutes where the print news media, well, they had to wait till tomorrow. And by the time it was in the paper, for many of you, it was already old news. They didn't have anything fresh. They had the same thing we had the night before, sometimes as it happened. And so the print media situation changed dramatically. Then they, they began to have online blogs because they were getting beat to the punch. So you start having your online blogs, and you can begin to sell advertising on that. And, and over time, the print media has become the Internet media. And there are a lot of people that were in print media they used to look down their noses at all of us as if somehow because of the fact they had a printed product, they were more talented than us. There were a bunch of people that felt that way. And ironically, just about all of them are now working uh, in the Internet media. As our, uh, as our president and CEO of 247 Sports, Shannon Terry, says all the time, you evolve or you die in this industry. And so when all that was kind of going on, there was, uh, you know, there was a couple people that I saw, and, and I, I don't like this sort of stuff at all. I've always been a firm believer in, uh, you know, listen, as a fan, you, you ought to be able to show your fan your fandom in any way you want as long as you're not hurting anybody else. And so some of those fans show up in Hoover or the Winfrey Hotel or wherever. They'll show up in the lobby, and there are always coaches and players that take pictures and sign autographs and that sort of stuff. That is a part of media day for a lot of people. And so Alabama always has – especially when it's in Hoover, always has, you know, a horde of, of, uh, of fans that come trying to get a picture with Nick Saban or just to be able to shake a hand with a player and that sort of stuff that happens. I don't see anything wrong with that, and I, and I don't know why other people do. You know, I don't have to go and wade through that crowd if I don't want to. 
you know, once I come in, I go upstairs, I get my credential. I can go set up my stuff at uh, one of the, the, the hundreds of tables in there, it seems. And I can put my stuff stuff down. I can walk around. I can talk with other SEC members of the media that I, that I hadn't seen in a long time. So I am not in any way inconvenienced or impeded by the fans that choose to come and uh, hang out in the lobby. So it's one of those things that's kind of out of sight, out of mind. I mean, you know, when, I first, when you first come in and register people that, that, are, that are there that will say hello or whatever. But it's a matter of a few seconds. You get on the escalator and you go up, and that's the end of your involvement with those people. And uh, somebody, kind of a prominent member of the SEC media, this is in the infancy of Twitter, I guess. Was, you know, I was kind of reluctant to get on board with Twitter, even though it's become such a huge part of my life. Uh, my kids say, Daddy, you can't open your eyes without grabbing your phone and checking Twitter. And then that's, that's the reality of life for me. But, uh, yeah, I, I just made a comment. You know, it's, just, it's interesting to me because I saw some people in the print media, multiple members of the print media, some within the state of Mississippi, some without, some out of the state, uh, began to be critical of these fans that come to SEC media days. And so I'd made a comment. I said, hey, listen. I said, it's just amazing to me with print media being the way that it is, with the decline in print media, you know, really a, a big factor now, that people in the print media would be critical of subscribers for showing their enthusiasm for their team by going to SEC Media Days and asking for an autograph. And apparently that struck a nerve with some people. I had one person in particular that called me and got really upset with me, and, oh, you had to make it personal. I said, well, I if it was personal, I would have tweeted directly at you. It wasn't personal. It was just a general observation. We're all here at SEC Media Days, and uh, I think it's silly to go out there and be critical of fans. You know, we run a business that is dependent on fans. So when Mississippi State is winning, there are a lot of happier fans. There are people that are willing to go out and buy more Mississippi State merchandise. And there are people that want to be plugged in uh, to our website to find out what's maybe going on behind the scenes because nobody in the industry covers Mississippi State more in-depth than we do at jeanspage.com. It is just it is that simple. We cover every sport. We cover recruiting in every sport. And we're actually talking about doing some softball recruiting uh, coverage. And those are things we, what's important to you is important to us. And so I've never understood why anybody that runs a business that is dependent on sales would ever be critical of potential customers. Now, there are some people, of course, that are never going to be happy. There are some people that, uh, no matter what you do or you go, they're always going to find some way to be critical of somebody else because it makes them feel better to elevate themselves as if they're on, uh, you know, some big perch or something. You know, here's the deal. I have worked incredibly hard uh, to get where I am, and I am not where I completely want to be. Now, I plan to cover Mississippi State for the duration. I got no aspirations about going anywhere else. This, this was it for me. This is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a Mississippi State writer, and then once I became a Mississippi State writer, I wanted to be the Mississippi State writer. I wanted to be the guy when people thought Mississippi State, hey, that's the guy we need to call and talk to. That's the guy that's going to know more about Mississippi State than anybody else in the media. And that's still my goal. I don't know that I'm there yet. I, I'm, I, I love learning new things about Mississippi State. But I also don't know how long all this is going to last. You know, I've been doing this for a long time now. 20 years. Over 20 years now I've been doing this. 
And I think if you're able to do anything for over 20 years, you're doing okay. But I think one of the reasons that we've been able to stay in this industry as long as we have is because of innovation. I mean, 20 years ago, we, there wasn't such thing as podcasts, and there wasn't all the social media stuff. And I've embraced that sort of stuff. And that's not to toot my own horn, but, but the bottom line is this, is uh, I think we have to have a real appreciation for the people that we serve. And so one of the reasons that I continue to do the boneyard during the, the, you know, the epidemic, the pandemic, when everybody was locked up, is I felt, number one, I needed it. I needed to be able to get out there and have some normalcy in my life and get on this microphone and be able to talk about Mississippi State. But I also felt that you needed it. And I felt that in many ways I was kind of doing a service to Mississippi State people because you were the people that I care about. I'm not out there trying to, you know, to, to win fans around the country and that sort of stuff. You know, I, I'm here to tell the Mississippi State story to people that love and care about Mississippi State. And so I continue to do it, and some days it was very difficult. Some days I thought, man, and I, you know, I just, I did, some days I didn't know what to talk about. Some days I'd have to go kind of surf the headlines and, and reach out to other people and, and find topics that you guys would find of interest. But now we're beginning to kind of get back into a sense of normalcy, uh, and, and I won't forget that. I won't forget how many of you, and I, I'm reluctant to even give a number because it's almost, it's so uh, embarrassing almost, but... I would say upwards of 200 people reached out over the course of the pandemic and sent me a private message or an email or hit me up on Twitter and said, hey, Steve, man, thanks so much for continuing to do the Boneyard. It's been great to have a little something to kind of escape from all this craziness because we are in this together. And I appreciate the platform that I have been, and I hate to say the word given, but I give Gene Swindoll a lot of credit because, you know, I, I, was, in the, I was in the infancy of the Internet and uh, was actually talking to uh, the folks at Rivals about being the publisher for them. And uh, things didn't work out. Gene picked me up, and uh, it you know, kind of became my life missions then to, uh, to make sure that uh, Rivals was never, ever the dominant site or the dom- dominant media entity when it came to Mississippi State. I, I take that, that those things personally. You know what I'm saying? I, I think every, I think everybody, every great competitor has a foil. You know what I'm saying? I think everybody needs a rival. And but I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of being happy not having to compete against a lot of people right now because you know used to it was the scout and rivals rivalry. I think now you know with the, now we've merged with uh, Paul Jones and Robbie Falk. I believe that uh, other Mississippi State media entities probably look at us and say, you know what, that's what we want to be someday. So we're no longer just competing against rivals, which rivals no longer has a presence. I remember a time when there was four different Mississippi State websites. There's one now. It's a super site. But now we're competing against the Clarion Ledger and all the print media and ESPN and Fox News and all those kind of people, Fox Sports. You know, we want to be the folks breaking news about Mississippi State. And I think one of the reasons we have been as successful as we have been is because we have never forgotten where we've come from. I remember in, in our infancy, we didn't even know if we'd be able to get media credentials. You know, I'm also old enough to remember going to cover out-of-state high school football games and uh, having to kind of talk my way in the gate because people said, well, we don't ordinarily let people from uh, these internet fan sites come in and, and cover the ball game. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, what, what makes us different than the guys in the local newspaper? We have a bigger reach. 
And so it took some time. You know, I was around during all of that. And I remember when we weren't allowed to go cover the Mississippi high school football state championship games. We were not even allowed to be on the sidelines to take pictures. It's as simple as that. I mean, it's like we were, we were definitely treated like second-class citizens. And then when Todd Kelly uh, left the ledger, and God bless Todd Kelly. I know that, that he rubs some Mississippi State people the wrong way, but Todd and I have always had a great relationship. But when Todd left the ledger, and he kind of modernized things with the, the High School Activities Association as it related to media. Now, all of a sudden, we were no longer kept at arm's length, but we had the opportunity at that point to be embraced. Uh, not just, hey, okay, you guys are just like everybody else. Now, all of a sudden, Todd was like, hey, we, we appreciate your guys' coverage. Thanks for coming out. If there's anything we can do to help. And so things changed. It was a real antiquated way of doing things before. And I don't know why they were all so scared of us. It's not like we're going to go out there and take a picture of a kid and capture his soul or something. you know. But it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, because of the fact that it was a new industry, there were people that, that were just a little bit hesitant to get involved with us. And so when I think about this SEC media thing now going virtual, it's one of those things that it, it's almost it's, it's all come full circle. Now the SEC media days in and of itself is an Internet entity. And I don't think that continues. I mean, Greg Sankey says that they hope to go back to our regular format in 2021. Because one of the things you miss the most about not going to, to media days is all of the ex parte conversation. You know what I'm saying? Like being able to pull a coach aside kind of away from – you know, the, the masses and say, hey, coach, what, what, what can you tell me about this? And kind of getting some off-the-cuff comments, even if you didn't quote them. But just being able to kind of learn things. So you miss all that. So there will be a lot less of those human interest type stories and stuff that emerge from SEC media days just because availability is going to be kind of limited and everybody's going to have the same quotes. So it's going to be kind of canned uh, this year. But I'm glad they're still doing it. It's important they do it. And that's one of the things that I, th- I, th- I think is probably a little bit undervalued is uh, when the players get selected to be a part of SEC Media Days. What a huge honor that is to represent your team, to represent your university, and to show that your coaching staff and your athletic department have this the confidence in you to go make you an ambassador for their program on a national stage. And so I'm glad they're going to continue to have the student-athletes involved, even though it is a virtual experience. And so the guys, it'll be a different deal. But the honor is uh, in no way diminished because of the fact these guys uh, are big-time players. And I, I think like last year, like Darrell Williams, you know, we knew Darrell Williams really well. And then Darrell Williams goes to SEC Media Days, and then Darrell Williams becomes, I won't say famous, but now all of a sudden there were a lot of people that were unaware of Darrell Williams around the conference that said, you know, I like this guy. And I, I honestly think that's one of the reasons that he made – the preseason all-SEC list is because I think, number one, it's hard to pick offensive line, especially the interior guys, uh, but also, too, because he represented himself so well. And I think that Daryl kind of put himself in the conversation with the SEC media as a whole as a guy that was a great player. He was a great person and a great player, and I think that press helped him uh, in addition to his play on the field, obviously, to remain very relevant. Uh, in the SEC. And I think those things are important. These guys are kind of building a brand, too. And so I, I think that's a bigger part of this thing, too, is being able to get out there and interact with the media, especially the guys that you aren't quite as familiar with, the guys that maybe perhaps don't cover your games regularly. Because there are a lot of people that are going to interview those kids at uh, SEC Media Days that will never set foot in Stark Bowl. That's just how it is. 
but it gives those guys a chance to sell themselves. And uh, I think that is a wonderful thing. So I look forward to that. Uh, it won't be nearly as much fun, and I don't know how the Q&A thing's going to work. You know, I'm sure it'll all be moderated, and you have to be recognized. And uh, we will get all the details of that. They haven't even you know, picked the, t- the, the time or the place or, or any of that yet, the dates. It was all supposed to go down, I guess, July 13th, uh, the week of July 13th. But uh, I don't know if it's going to happen now, but we won't have to travel this year. And Dave Murray has uh, gone, I think, every year. Uh, since the beginning, I always joke with Dave. Dave makes his jokes about his own age, and I, I, I kind of partake just because he's such a good sport about it. But uh, when I recently did the research about Alan McKean, you know, I'd, I'd call him and I'd say, hey, Dave, uh, what do you know about this, or, or what do you remember about this? He goes, well, I don't remember anything about it. I goes, well, Dave, you sure you weren't selling popcorn in the stands, you know, when Shorty McWilliams came back to Mississippi State in 1945? Uh, but anyway, we have a good time with all that. But uh, listen, we love what we do. And we love the people we do it for. And that's one of the things, if you ever hear me being disrespectful to any Mississippi State person, you, you know, it's, it, it's not true. It's just one of those things because I, I'm, one of, I'm one of your own. And uh, I take that, that, that is something that I wear almost like a badge of honor. I am so grateful that my dad, Freddie Robertson, attended Mississippi State University and got a degree in animal husbandry and went to work for Farmers Home Administration and worked for them for 33 years to help farmers in the great state of Mississippi have a better life. That means everything to me. And the fact that my dad raised us to be bulldogs, that is one of those things that, uh, you know, you always look back. I've, I've seen some people say, man, how come, why couldn't my dad have been a, an Alabama fan? You know what? I don't know that I would fit in as well over there. You know, I, I just, I, I love where we are. I love what we stand for. And, uh, if you guys want to go down to the lobby of anywhere, well, I don't care if you go to Walmart and you're looking for an autograph from Michael Leach, then God bless you, man. Because anything that we can do to celebrate Mississippi State is a good thing. And it should always be celebrated and never be criticized by anybody in the media or social media or anything like that. Because we all love something. And anytime we get a chance to celebrate it, that should always be something that uh, is respected. So are you guys, you know, Father's Day's coming up. Are you kind of wondering what you should get your dad for Christmas? As a dad, four times over, let me encourage you, do not buy your dad another tie. Okay, your mom can go get him a tie for the anniversary or whatever. Don't go get your dad a gift card to Walmart or whatever. Get your dad something a little more meaningful. Go visit our friends at Hawthorne.co. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. You know, I'm a big proponent of Hawthorne. I'm, I'm so happy we have them. I, I, the cologne that I wear from Hawthorne is the best cologne that I have ever had. And I don't just say that because they're an, an advertiser, because I could always pick somebody else to be an advertiser for us because we get plenty of opportunities here. But I believe in its product, and you will too. Let me encourage you, go take the little two-minute quiz. They'll match you up the, with cologne that best fits your personal preferences, and you're going to smell better than ever. Moms, if you're trying to find a great gift for the dad in your life or your husband on behalf of your children, let me encourage you. This is kind of a gift for you, too, because you want your man to smell good and feel good and be confident. And that's what Hawthorne.co is going to bring to you. And listen, by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we're going to give you a little incentive. So visit them at Hawthorne.co and use promo code Boneyard. And when you do... That will trigger their offer to give you guys a $20 gift card. That's a cool deal. So you get, you get the cologne 
and you get the $20 gift card. And you know what? He can use that gift card for a number of things. They, they have uh, shampoo and conditioner. They have uh, uh, lotion. They've got face wash. They've got a lot of things that will make Dad feel better about being Dad. Because here's the thing about being Dad. Sometimes, as Chris Rock said, about sometimes the only real benefit of being Dad is getting a big piece of chicken. There's a lot of times Dad does a lot of things he doesn't get a lot of credit for. This is a chance to kind of reward Dad for being Dad. Hawthorne.co, that's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.co, promo code BONEYARD. Don't forget to use that because you never know what he'll want to use that gift card on. So top ten list today, a little different. And I like the different ones because, you know, I'm a guy that I, uh, you know, I, I like what I like, but I like a lot of things. You know, it's like I have had some people message me and say, say well, I never knew you knew this. I don't know everything, but I know a little bit about just about everything. And I have a real appreciation uh, for new knowledge. But uh, our, our good friend Tom Terry, longtime Barnyard listener, Tom Terry hit me up. And uh, listen, you hit me up with your suggestions too. I read them all. I don't use them all, but I read them all. And if I don't respond, please forgive me. Life gets busy. But Tom Terry reached out and said, hey, Steve, what about your top 10 boxers? Top 10 boxers. And so I picked the ones, obviously, of my lifetime. You know, back when uh, in the infancy of cable television, ESPN uh, had the Tuesday night fights. And so me and my stepdad would sit down, and, and I watched boxing every single week with him. So I, I know there's Trevor Burbick and Larry Holmes and Jerry Cooney and all those guys. I remember watching all that and all the – Sugar Ray Leonard, the, 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 the way they all kind of rose to prominence. I remember watching all that. And so, yes, I was a boxing fan. I don't watch it as much anymore. There's just so much that goes on these days. And to be honest with you, if I want to watch hand-to-hand combat, I watch the UFC. And, it's for, you, and for those of you that are curious, um, I'm a Nate Diaz guy. Okay, so here we go, Tom Terry. Here's your list. This is my list of Tom, based on Tom Terry's request of my favorite boxers, top ten. So, number 10 on my list is Juliar Cesar Chavez, at one time considered the best pound-for-pound boxer in the world. Uh, He did fight a lot of uh, B and C card fighters early in his career and stacked up a big, big, big record. But, man, I tell you what, that guy, for his his weight class, he could absolutely hit like a truck. And uh, just really, really good body work with him. He's one of those kind of guys that was a complete fighter. He wasn't just out there throwing Hail Marys. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Thirds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. 
That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tecovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tecovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. And haymakers. Number nine on my list, probably higher on a lot of other people's list, uh, it's Manny Pacquiao. Uh, he is a guy, too, incredible quickness, was a guy that could really, really pepper you to death with that jab. And then right when you're beginning to – when that right eye begins to close, all of a sudden uh, he brings that overhand right and, uh, and kind of shuts you down there. But uh, Pacquiao, obviously a big one. Number eight on my list, probably higher on some other lists. And I think one of the reasons that I would have that I don't have him higher is because he was he rose to prominence during one of the greatest runs in the history of the sport. And it's Evander Holyfield. Evander Holyfield was an Olympian, uh, was the cruiserweight champ, and he's probably best known for uh, getting his ear bitten by Mike Tyson. And, and Holyfield was winning the fight, and I'm a Tyson fan, but Holyfield was winning the fight, and Mike took the uh, the easy way out and uh, really kind of tainted his own legacy a little bit and, and you know, changed the tra- trajectory of boxing for a while. It became so much of a circus. It was like you spent all that money and you watched the pay-per-views, and I was watching all that when it happened, and you feel so cheated. You know, it's like you, you pay this money, and then Mike does something stupid like this that has the fight canceled, and then uh, the whole sport and the, the image of Mike Tyson was somewhat tainted, even more so than it was initially. I mean, listen, Mike is a guy that got a lot of warts, but uh, – the Holyfield-Tyson battle was just uh, – it, it left you a little bit unfulfilled. Number seven, Roberto Duran. Another one of those, you know, quick, explosive athletes in the ring. Uh, ha- had a pretty good chin, you know, and, and sadly he's known for the no-moss fight, you know, where he, he basically quit. Uh, but that's part of the deal. That doesn't diminish his skill. The guy had one bad night and had some legendary fights with uh, – with Sugar Ray Leonard, but uh, Roberto Duran, a lot of people, younger fans of the sports, maybe don't appreciate how good he was, and he was a lot of times like uh, Cesar Chavez, a lot of people considered him the best fighter in the world 
pound for pound. He was just one of those guys that was quite the technician and had a heavy chin. Uh, he did, you, you couldn't take him down. Number six, not the best athlete, but, man, he was a great heavyweight champ for a long time, and that's Larry Holmes. I mentioned him a little bit earlier. I remember Mike beating Larry Holmes, and it was almost like seeing uh, my teenage years beat up my childhood years of watching boxing. And Larry Holmes, you know, he got a big payday for him, but he was so over his prime. And I remember they kept riding him out there from boxing promoters because Larry, Larry was always willing. If you're going to write a check, Larry's willing to show up. But he should have retired probably three or four years before he did. But for a long time, Larry Holmes was the heavyweight champion of the world, and rightfully so. He was one of those guys that meant that uppercut. He could absolutely stop a truck with that uppercut. Number five, I liked uh, I liked the showmanship. Uh, he was one of those guys too that had had a uh, had a look that kind of made him rather menacing. That's marvelous, Marvin Hagler. He was one of those guys too. When he got you on the ropes, he was a finisher. There's a lot of guys that want to stand in the center of the ring and box. He was one of them. But once he got you in the corner, he was trying to end the fight. He wasn't going to sit there and spar with you. He was going to go ahead and do everything he could to end the fight. And sometimes that got him in trouble. He'd punch himself out. And then uh, if the fight went long, sometimes he would begin to fade. But, man, there was a time there when I don't know if there was anybody in the world more feared than Marvin Hagler. When you get to these final ones, man, it's, you, you can pick the order. But at number four for me is Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, I, I think Sugar Ray Leonard, number one, b- because of the fact that he kind of changed the image in many respects of what boxing was. A lot of people just thought it was a bunch of brawlers that, you know, a bunch of punch drunk guys that, uh, you know, were out there, you know, beating each other to death. But Sugar Ray, incredibly intelligent, incredibly articulate. He was a gentleman out of the ring, but an absolute killer in the ring. Uh, Sugar Ray, I, I could make the case as arguably the, the best American boxer uh, pound for pound of all time when you look at the total package. I mean, Sugar Ray was just one of those guys that people wanted to be affiliated with because he had that great smile and he had that great attitude and he really handled himself well. Uh, again, Sugar Ray Leonard, there were a lot of people in my generation, you grew up watching Sugar Ray, uh, you wanted to be Sugar Ray. Number three, a guy that uh, yeah, a lot of people looked at and said, you know what, this guy is kind of um, – I guess he is a little bit uh, braggadocious, I guess you would say, and, and a lot of the best boxers are. But that's Floyd Mayweather. I think Floyd Mayweather is one of those – you go back and pull up YouTube clips of him in his prime. He is one of those people that you wondered how anybody could ever beat him. And every so often, everybody gets stopped. But Floyd Mayweather was one of those guys that more times than not, he could brush off your best shot and just keep charging. Number two for me – Roy Jones Jr. Uh, I think Roy Jones Jr., I mean, his knockout power and, uh, you know, his antics in the ring, I know gave him some criticism, but he was one of those guys that he was so entertaining. And I think in many ways he kind of saved boxing because he came back. He was that next great boxer, that great character, uh, a guy that did it the right way. Uh, and, and, you know, I remember when he was disqualified from that fight that time. When he, I can't even remember the, the guy he was fighting, but it was ridiculous. The guy knelt down because Jones was about to knock him out. And Roy hit him as he's, knelt, as, as he's down and uh, gets disqualified from the fight. And then they had the rematch, and Roy nearly killed him. Uh, but Roy Jones Jr., incredible, incredible athlete. If you want to see a guy that knows how to do it, go watch Roy Jones Jr. 
But number one for me, and I think it's probably number one for everybody, is Iron Mike Tyson. Now, it's what an incredible time to be alive. You know, we got to see Michael Jordan. We got to see uh, Mike Tyson. We got to see Joe Montana. We got to see, you know, those great runs for some of the greatest athletes of all time. We got to see Wayne Gretzky. And there are a few names that um, you mentioned, and there's no need to say Mike Tyson. You just say Tyson. And everybody knows exactly who you're talking about. I remember every bit of that with, um, you know, when, when they were coming up and, and Mike got a cat skills in New York and he was expected to be this phenom and, and he was. And it seemed like that nobody hit harder than Mike and nobody was as relentless as Mike. He, he was trying to finish every fight within the first three rounds and more times than that he did, more times than not he did. I remember him knocking Tyrell Biggs uh, through the ropes you begin to think, you know, this is one of the greatest things we've ever seen. And I really thought there was a time in my life I thought he would break Rocky Marciano's record. And, it, and obviously he didn't. And a lot of that's because he got in some legal trouble. And then, you know, you got Kevin Rooney out of his corner and things changed. And, uh, you know, Mike's boxing career took a very drastic and wrong turn when he elected to change up his team. And, uh, you know, wanted to get some guys from the neighborhood involved and that sort of stuff. But it just didn't work out. Uh, but I believe you dance with the one that brung you. And uh, Mike Tyson is one of the greatest of all times. And I firmly believe had he not made the change that he did, he probably uh, would have had a much different career towards the end of his career. And I understand he said uh, they're talking about having a comeback. And uh, watching those training, training videos, the, the thought of him punching somebody in a kidney makes me want to vomit. But that's it. That's my top ten boxers. You, you may disagree, but your list would be wrong. But uh, send your suggestions for the top ten list uh, to me on, on all forms of social media. You never know. I might use yours. And thanks so much for the interest in a top ten list. I look forward to doing these each and every show. I want to remind you, too, our good friends at Campus Bookmart, longtime sponsors of the show, man. Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. And I don't know if you know this, the lovely, talented Susie also has some lovely, talented daughters as well. The whole crew, wonderful people, beautiful people, personal people. If you can't get by and see them, you can visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll save you a little cash. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete, and I've said it for weeks now. The kids have been good, man. The kids have been good. You got other kids going back to school. You're going to be taking summer vacations. Buy them some MSU gear. We hadn't had a chance to get out and celebrate Mississippi State in a while on the field as a play. But let's not let forget let people forget where we stand. We are Bulldogs as a people. We should always rep the brand. So visit them again, campusbookmark.net, promo code BSR. Buy yourself something there while you're there. Treat yourself. All right, so let's get into a couple more things. I mentioned about the draft. We have talked ad nauseum about Mississippi State's draft prospects. Just to give you the 30-second primer, some of the mocks have JT Ginn, Vafoscu, and Westberg all going today. The draft begins at 6 p.m. It'll be televised on ESPN and Major League Baseball Network. Just the first round today. That's 30 picks plus the seven back-end picks, so a total of 37 picks today and depending on which mock drafts that you trust i don't trust a lot of them anyway because i don't really know they're somewhat educated but they're pretty close in this in the first round they usually can get it within a few picks but uh 
Mississippi State had a couple different players mentioned. You know, all three of those guys have all been mentioned. Again, Foskey, Westberg. So, good chance we see two, possibly three of those guys go today, which means we'll update that graphic on the wall and do the noble field. And then the remainder of the draft will be broadcast tomorrow, the final four rounds of the draft. And it you know, used to be a 40-round draft. So this is a dramatic change with the five rounds this year. And so I suspect there will be a lot of people, a lot of interest. TV ratings probably be high. People are eager to see what's going on. We're prepared over at Gene's page. We, we, we continue to talk to our people. We've talked to Chris Lamonis. We've talked to Scott Foxall. We've talked to scouts and cross-checkers and done our best to try to get accurate information for you guys. It's going to be an eventful couple of days for Mississippi State baseball. So around the conference, though, there are some big-time players that uh, are going to be moving on. And, I mean, when you look at some of the slot values, I mean, some of these guys are going to get six, seven, eight million dollars to be drafted in, in the, the first few picks. And so this is life-changing money. So looking around the SEC, here are some of the SEC guys that are mentioned prominently as first-rounders in uh, several mock drafts. Uh, a lot of people have Austin Martin from Vanderbilt among the top three picks. Uh, I still think Torque will probably go number one, but uh, Austin Martin, probably the first SEC player taken. Probably. And uh, Vanderbilt has kind of become a mainstay when it's come to just about everything college baseball-wise, and you know my feelings about that. Uh, but Austin Martin, a guy that uh, a lot of people think is going to have a long Major League Baseball career, and uh, I'm just happy to get him out of the SEC. Probably the next guy that will be taken is a guy that I saw pitch in person two years ago when we went down to College Station and we won the series down there. JT Ginn loses his start to Asa Lacey. That's two studs going. Asa Lacey, big-time left-handed pitcher, really gave the state offense a lot of trouble. Uh, he, There's no doubt he's going to go. That guy's going to get millions of dollars right out of the gate, probably be on the fast track to the league. Again, happy to have him out of the SEC. Another big-time pitcher in the league and we didn't get to see him. You know, when Georgia came here two years ago, he didn't make the trip. And, of course, we, weren't, we didn't get to play Georgia this year. Um, we weren't expected to. But anytime we can get Georgia off the schedule, I'm okay with that. Because Scott Strickland's teams always pitch it really well. They don't score a whole lot. They don't have to. But, uh, you know, we were able to get that big, big series win against them a couple of years ago. Hancock didn't make the trip. Uh, so it looks like he'll never see Mississippi State. But uh, he is one of the first guys expected to go. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, this was supposed to be the year of the Friday night starter in the SEC, and many of those Friday night guys are moving on, including Lacey and Hancock. Uh, Heston Kerstad, it seems like he's been at Arkansas forever. Great big stick. Uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I think he is a corner outfielder for a long time in the major leagues. He, does, he doesn't have incredible speed or anything, but he's got great back control. He's a guy that can swing for power and a pretty good defender as well. He's a guy that will be around, and again – Anytime that we can see a good player leave Arkansas, that's always a good thing. I think the rivalry between State and Arkansas right now in baseball might be more heated than it is with a with LSU or Ole Miss. One of my favorite pitchers in the SEC, and he's been a little bit banged up toward the end of his college career, is Garrett Crochet at Tennessee. Had a chance to watch him pitch in Knoxville a couple years ago against State, and I was so incredibly impressed with him. He is one of those guys that people expect big things from, and he was a little bit banged up last year, and so, but he's, he's going to be fine. You know, big left-handed pitcher, a guy that can mix and match, change speeds, and when you got a guy that throws as hard as he does and then he can land that breaking ball and change speeds, it makes his makeup, uh, you know, 
very desirable for Major League Baseball scouts. Another big-time pitcher out of Georgia, Cole Wilcox. We've seen him. We, we, we've had a chance to hit him, and we have. Uh, right-handed pitcher, and, and that's in that same class, that whole that JT Ginn, Asa Lacey group, all of those guys uh, very familiar with each other. And so uh, he'll be moving on as well because he's going to get a tremendous amount of money, and as will Tanner Burns. Tanner Burns is a guy, uh, you know, Auburn's Friday night guy. I don't know. What, I don't know if he goes first or second round, but I, I'm pretty confident that he's going to sign and move on. Interesting. When you look at the mock drafts, though, and I, and I don't remember the last time this has happened, there aren't any LSU players projected to go in the first round. Now I know that there's some guys that are going to go. But uh, my, my honest opinion is, and I know some people say, well, Steve, they're LSU. My honest opinion is, is I believe that the pack in the West is starting to really gain on LSU. You know, I, I think LSU, number one, has kind of benefited from when some teams in the West were, you know, were down. But when you look at the commitment that uh, has been made, you know, resources-wise in baseball, you know, Ole Miss under Mike Bianco, uh, they have come an, an incredibly long way. People forget, you know, when we were getting fat in the 80s, Ole Miss didn't even make the tournament in the 80s. You know, so they had a lot farther to come, and which I think really kind of illustrates what a great job Mike Bianco has done at Ole Miss. But, you know, A&M has come along. Uh, Arkansas, of course, is, uh, you know, renovating Bomb Stadium. Mississippi State, Studi Noble is the uh, greatest – baseball cathedral and all college baseball and so as a result the talent is being a little more evenly dispersed throughout the conference you know there are a lot of times you know, used to years ago you know if a kid had to pick between LSU Mississippi State and Arkansas or Ole Miss and they weren't a Louisiana kid they would still go to LSU because LSU was considered to be head and shoulders better than most of the teams in the SEC and I think probably just a head better to Mississippi State but they were winning national championships on the regular. And so now, all of a sudden, you've got some things going on. So I'm not ready to say there's a changing of the guard in the SEC West. But I believe that you're going to see more and more and more of these out-of-state kids, that, especially out of Texas, that are going to consider going to school at Mississippi State and Arkansas when in years past they might have gone to LSU. Or Texas. You know, and Texas Texas has got the same scholarship limitations we do, and Texas is not back. Not in baseball. People are going to say that in football, but they're not. And so I think what this, this draft is going to kind of illustrate is the fact that uh, it's not LSU and everybody else anymore. Now, I remember in, in, working on Stark Villains and working on uh, Alpha Dogs. Uh, it's one thing that you learn is we go through these cycles. You know, you remember, you know, in the trampoline baseball era, you know, I still think, you know, 97, 98, you know, Brooks, Brian, Brian Weiss, Richard Lee teams, Jeremy Jackson, Chris Reinecke teams, the Chris Lauderhouse teams, you know what I'm saying, that group, the John Knott teams. You know, when we go through all that stuff, Adam Pyatt, um, you know, that was a different day and era in baseball because we were playing baseball. And there were some other people playing church league softball. And as a result, you know, there was a, you know, I, I'm a firm believer, and there are people who say, well, Steve, you got sour grapes. You know what? Maybe so. But I believe a lot of that stuff 
in the 90s in college baseball almost needs to have an asterisk. It's like some people say, well, you know, the steroid era in Major League Baseball, all that's kind of tainted. Well, I feel the same way about a lot of that in college baseball because there were some people out there that were cutting corners, and we all know this. And then you had the, the trampoline era. I guess it was the CU 31 bats, and then everybody began to roll the bats, and it, it, was, it was a different deal. And if you don't think it's different, go look at Alabama baseball now. Go look at what they were under Jim Wells, and then look at where they are now in baseball. And Mississippi State's been to Omaha five consecutive decades. I think we're one of the only teams in the country that can say that. We've been good at baseball for, for pretty much since our inception. We have been a baseball school. We have put a premium on baseball. But there are some other people that are kind of new money, and there's some Johnny-come-latelys and that sort of stuff, and there are some people that make a run every now every few years. But Mississippi State has consistently been good. LSU has consistently been good since the 80s. LSU, I interviewed Bruce Castoria for, for the book Alpha Dogs, and one of the things he talked about is, you know, back in 81, we went to the College World Series. He goes, you know, LSU wasn't LSU yet. And I think it's a good way to, to, to say it. LSU was just kind of another team in the SEC. Back in those days, you know, like in the late 70s, early 80s, the teams that, that gave us trouble were, were a lot of them were Auburn. You know, Ole Miss wasn't any good. You know, Ole Miss had a good run in the early 70s, and then they, they kind of took a decade and a half off. And then when Bianco got there, they, they recalibrated and became a much better team because they changed their recruiting philosophy. I give Dan McDonald a lot of credit for that. Because Ron Polk and, and Tommy Raffo and Coach McNichol and those guys were continuing to do things the way we've always done it. And then Bianco and, and really McDonnell. McDonald's the one that kind of changed. They got more aggressive because they knew that if they ever let a kid come to camp at Mississippi State and they had a chance to play for Ron Polk and they had a chance to play at Duty Noble, they were going to come to Mississippi State. Well, then they would offer a kid much, much earlier and say, hey, listen, we want you to be a rebel. Where's Mississippi State? Oh, well, they want you to come to camp, huh? We, we've seen enough. We don't need you to come to camp. I had many people in, in the industry tell me that every time they would go out recruiting, they would see Dan McDonald. And he wouldn't be over there hobnobbing with the other coaches. He wouldn't be over there visiting and shaking hands and glad-handing with all the other coaches and talking shop. He was out there working. He was out there taking notes. He was out there getting times. He was out there paying attention and evaluating the kids. He wasn't just there to be seen. He was there to see the players. And you want, you want to know when things begin to change in the rivalry on the field between State and Ole Miss. I really believe that's, that's the turning point right there. You know, when Coach Polk hung in here for a while and many times we ended up kind of signing the leftovers in the state of Mississippi, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful to anybody that's ever worn a uniform. But the bottom line is we were being out-recruited at Mississippi State at our own game by our arch rival because they were outworking us. And then we made a change. And, you know, you bring in John Cohen, and, and then all of a sudden we begin to kind of rebalance the power when it came to talent. And now when you look at what we're stacking up and the fact that we're, we're contemplating a night where we might have three first-round draft picks. I think most people agree it'll probably be two, but you could potentially have three first-round draft picks this year. Guys that went to Omaha back-to-back -back years. And so I say all that to say this. Mississippi State baseball is trending on the trajectory that it should have been all along. We took some time off. We didn't mean to. The game kind of passed us by a little bit because we, we just kind of thought, well, you know, the left field lounge is enough to get us kids. And that was wrong. 
You know, that might have been the case when other people weren't committed to college baseball. But as the teams around this conference, especially in our own division, began to get more committed to baseball, we got caught wrestling our laurels a little bit. And now that has changed. I believe we've awakened the giant. And I believe, I, I really believe we've been back in Omaha this year. As I've shared with you guys many times, I believe we're going to have one of the better pitching staffs in the country this next year. And I believe the better days of Mississippi State baseball lie ahead. Every time we had a, we had a discussion in the chat room the other day over on Gene's page, and one guy was like, you know what, we're not as elite as we think we are. You know, I, I disagree with that. But I think there was a time when that sentiment was very much prevalent within our fan base. It's like, well, you know, we've always gone to Omaha. We'll be okay. And then the 2000s were kind of a rough stretch for us. You know, Polk came back, and we went back in 07. But in many ways, I think we thought perhaps the fact that Mississippi State was Mississippi State was enough. And I'm glad to see that's changed because now, in many ways, we have the recruiting philosophy that kind of matches our financial commitment to college baseball. And it's really been that way for, you know, three or four coaches now. You know, of course, you know, when, when, I don't know if you guys know this. I'm, I'm going to share some information with you I don't think many people know. When, uh, when John Cohen was hired to be the head baseball coach at Mississippi State, we didn't have any verbal commitments. We did not have any commitments. Because everybody knew that Ron Polk was leaving. They weren't sure who was going to come in. They knew it was still Mississippi State. But our the enemies of Mississippi State were able to profit off of that. They were able to get guys to commit and say, hey, you know, you don't know, Mississippi State's run is over. You know, Ron Polk's going to move on, and, and you're not going to know what's happening at Mississippi State. And that stadium's getting kind of antiquated. And, you know, they're living off what Paul Clark and Palmero did years ago. And so Cohen had to kind of rebuild things. And then all of a sudden you've got the new bats and you've got the old baseballs. And then there's all these changes that you have to kind of recruit to the new game. And we kind of got lucky that Hunter Renfro was still around. And so we begin to kind of build a program around Adam Frazier and Wes Ray and those guys. And we kind of, you, know, you get Brett Pirtle and those guys. Next thing you know, we began to be a really good team again. We were playing for a national championship. I still believe we should have won the game. I think they had better front-line pitching and probably a better hitting approach than us. But UCLA beat us. Simple as that. We couldn't score. We tried to hit too many home runs in a place that uh, you couldn't hit home runs with those baseballs back in those days. But all that being said, Mississippi State is getting the talent. Mississippi State has the coaching. Mississippi State has the facility. So tonight, celebrate the MLB draft, celebrate the fact that guys like Jordan Westberg and Justin Foscu and probably JT Ginn wore the maroon and white and took us to Omaha and helped us get back to where we should be. And I firmly believe that a national championship is not far off. I, I firmly believe that. I think our best days to come pretty soon is going to be our year to yell, and we'll be the ones. And I think once that happens, once we get the first one, you know what I'm saying? I think once we get the first one, that uh, the next ones aren't too far behind. I, I really believe that because I believe right now we, we're beginning to kind of flex some college baseball muscle. And there's some young guys that are going to opt to come to school that sound with Mississippi State that will probably have been drafted in a 40-round draft. And so I think we're going to be kind of squirreling away some talent we wouldn't have had otherwise. Well, that's going to do it for today. I'll be back on Friday. You just never know what we'll be talking about. We recap the draft for sure and we'll probably go over another top ten list. And uh, maybe we'll have some football news, too. We'll be working on some of that. There's some football recruiting stuff we're still kind of working towards. 
June could be a good month for Mississippi State recruiting. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.